welcome to Macintosh and Mod. Haven't seen what? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we watched Working Girl. When a secretary's idea is stolen by her boss, she seizes an opportunity to steal it back by pretending she has her boss's job. So good. So, so, so good. This is another movie in a row where I go, is this the most groundbreaking thing I've ever seen? No, not at all. Is it really solidly well-made as a romantic comedy? Absolutely. But see, like, I think it was really groundbreaking in the 80s. This is true. It's not groundbreaking today, but this is still very much like, this is, that that was the world. I mean, how often we heard from our moms, like, oh, I remember walking around with my tennis shoes, and then you turn, then you, you swapped into your dress shoes when you got to the office. Absolutely. Well, I think so. What I will say is that, and and what makes this movie stand apart and continue to last, mm-hmm. because obviously its cultural impact was huge in the time. Mm-hmm. What makes it last is how smart they were willing to make this movie around the business aspect of it. Yes, and well, well, it's that, but it's also like they wrote these women to be very smart. Like they're smart, all of them. All of them are very smart. They're just all willing to go. They're they're all only willing to cross certain lines to get what they want. Exactly. Which right, wrong, or indifference is why they are where they are. And our central character, like she, you know, she knows what the deal is. Like she knows, like the environment she's walking into. She's cautious in a way that she expects to be. She just, you know. She's like, all right, you know, I'm I'm going from these guys who just want to sleep with me, who are never going to give me a chance. And now I have this female boss and I've never experienced that. And oh, she says we're going to be friends. And, you know, OK, because she's never, you know, she's never not worked with a woman who didn't eventually become her friend because she's also that lady who becomes friends with everyone in the office. Like everyone was so excited for her. I mean, that doesn't happen when you're not good at your job and not a nice person. Like you yeah. don't have that type of send off. Like they were so happy for her. Oh, of course. So it's just like it it was very true. And, you know, I'm watching it and just going like, yeah, I've completely experienced like there's a difference between women who want everyone to do well and want to make sure um, that we help each other. And there's also women who are only there to help themselves and talk a game about helping. I'm going to I'm going to be everyone's helper um, so long as I get help the most. Yeah. We all know that person. (laughs) (laughs) First and foremost, it's such a whip smart story. Yes. On every level, including not just the meta level of the gender issues involved, which Mm -hmm. are so important and crucial. But I think the undersold thing is how smart this is about the mergers and acquisitions world of the 80s. Yes. Like it's it's hard for people to know who who weren't there to understand like. What a big fucking deal that was at that time. Mm-hmm. And what a huge departure in business that was. Because it's a totally different thing. When you watch Wall Street, it's all about the stock trading. Mm-hmm. And you get an element of that. But in this movie, it's all about the M&A deals, the slash and burn, you know, wheeling and dealing of taking companies and just jacking up profits to sell it. Well, yeah, it's like, how am I going to like, I'm going to put these together. So I have a bigger piece of a certain pie and then i'm going to turn it into something else it's 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 a very i mean most people work for a company that was created through 
some sort of merger and acquisition at some time. Could have been yeah. on a smaller scale and then it turns into a bigger scale. And they they explain that so well. But I think the thing that they do even better is they show you that you can understand how mergers and acquisitions works. But to be good and make a real impact at any of this deal making, doesn't matter what industry you're in, you've got to be able to look at different angles that somebody else may not think about. Yep. And that's what she does. That's oh, yeah. what she, she is able to see whole bits of the package that greatly affect the bottom line that is ultimately going to give her client more money. That's why she is she she will be allowed to be amazing now that she's she's proven herself here, but like she's got an eye for that. And it also just goes to show and you know, you this this is a universal lesson. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you should just give people the chance to prove themselves. Yeah. I, mean, I know that's weird to say, and like there are certainly people who may not deserve that shot, but like when it comes down to it, hear people out, hear their ideas, because they might have something amazing, and then don't steal their ideas. Yeah, <laughs> here's the thing. No boss looks good stealing their employees' work, and and I know like it's so often that bosses are praised like, oh, you're, you know, like your team did great, and the boss is the one who gets all the accolades. Well. A boss who doesn't then say, like, it's not me, it's my team, my team is amazing, is a shitty boss. Yeah. Like, if if, if the boss can't be like, no, my team made this happen, and then the team can feel that praise, like, you're a shitty boss. Like, no. Yep. It's nice when, when your bosses come down and be like, hey, I got this major accolade, but I just want to tell y'all, like, this is all a big part and thanks to you. You know. It is you, because here's the thing. If boss doesn't have a team, boss don't get shit. It's true. Remember your value. (sighs) Yeah. Get your money. But I also love that, you know, she's definitely breaking rules. She's doing some not most ethical things. But when she's confronted by it, by her friends, was like, what are you doing? And she's like, look, I played by all their rules and I got nothing. So now I'm breaking rules and I'm actually getting somewhere. It's true. Like, you can't be mad at her. And any man who did that would just be like, well, look at you. You're a trailblazer. But because she's a woman, she should just stay in her place until it's her turn. Knowing full well, it will never be her turn. It never came up in the trivia. I will say, well, and I, so this is interesting. The stockbroker element of it, I like that they move us out of that really quickly. Mm -hmm. And I think partially because Wall Street was made right around the time of the Black Friday crash. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's kind of one of the ideas behind it. Yeah. So it's centering on the stock market. This movie took a different angle because by that point, now the SEC has been like, we're not letting this happen again. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, ultimately we did, but that's a different story. Mm -hmm. So the writers and, and the team all pivoted and were like, no, no, no. She can't be in this weird stockbroker world where you've got to have all these licenses now. Mm-hmm. She's in a world of M and A, which really comes down to it. Doesn't matter who's in the fucking room; you just have to be able to sell the deal. Now, the people in the room, you're going to want lawyers, and you're going to want people who are certified to actually read the stuff. But at the end of the day, if you can sell it, there is no rules about who has to be in that room or not. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of who's gotten designated. Yeah. Now, you shouldn't be passing yourself off as a VP of a company when you're a secretary. That's that's liable to get you in some trouble. But 
I agree with it. Yep. But I didn't I didn't find anything on that of like anybody examining the the ethical principles here or the legal issues involved. But also she she also did the thing that very few people like asked her flat out. She just was like, I work with her. And she doesn't like it was it's just kind of that like she she operated in a very clear gray area and then she mm-hmm. just never corrected it, which also kind of baller. That's why she she gets the win she does at the mm-hmm. end. She's so fucking smart. Whip smart. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, the budget for this movie was twenty eight million dollars. Okay. Filming in New York, we got a lot of locations going on, and we got some big star power, too. It grossed in the U.S. about $64 million, and worldwide it made about $103 million, so it did very well. Yeah, definitely a return on investment. I mean, can you blame anybody? No. Now let's talk about our writer. This is his first ever screen credit. He is named Kevin Wade. After this, he writes True Colors, Mr. Baseball, Junior, Meet Joe Black, Made in Manhattan, and created the television series Blue Bloods. Hmm. What do we think of the writing of this movie? The writing is fabulous. It really is. Um, You understand Tess. You feel bad for Tess. But you also understand that like she's also got to make some changes. Like She's somewhat of a, a victim of circumstance. But I also like that once she starts down this path, she's committed to it. Like the thing with her boyfriend, she's it's very easy for her to be like, oh, this is nice. But it's like, you know what? I deserve better. I deserve better. I shouldn't have to settle for you. And and because people expect me to No, And I like that. I like that they showed that it wasn't just like, I'm better than you. I'm done. It's like, "Mm, no, there's it's more than that. It's more than just me wanting more for my life. Um, You actively treat me like garbage. Yeah. It's just like at no point, like you can tell she's conflicted. She is just conflicted, which I like because it's not just I'm going to do whatever it takes. She's not just put on blinders to the things she's done. Like, you know, I love the scene where she's cleaning the um, uh, what's her butt's apartment in her underwear to make sure she leaves no trace. It's just so funny. The uh, It's messy with a purpose. Yeah. There's a whole lot of untangled stuff. Like. Yes, that is all true about her relationship with her boyfriend. And then yet at the end of the movie, I like the fact that he winds up with this woman who, yes, he's an asshole for cheating on her Mm -hmm. with this other woman. And then they wind up together. And there's this moment of like, it's not that I, it's not that I think you're bad. You're just horrible. It's that you're wrong for me. Yeah. And that's, that's one of those real nuanced things. And there's so many little moments peppered throughout the movie like that, Mm -hmm. where it refuses to pin you down onto one side or another. It's just like, this is life. (laughs) Yeah. Like, life just happens. And sometimes it's really fucking messy. And then it works out in the best way. (laughs) And then on top of that, the other thing I have to commend is that also, it's just a really good fucking rom-com. It does. It has that element to it that was really fun and here's the thing they could here's the thing about that i love about this you could take the romance element out of it like it could be just like a little bit of flirting and that's it movie still slaps yeah it slaps and i could i didn't remember this until we were watching it but i forgot that harrison ford and sigourney weaver's characters were involved i completely forgot about that detail and here's the thing 
could have removed it and it wouldn't have mattered. It would not have changed the film, which I love. Like the romance is just a little sprinkling on to give it a little extra and it's fine. And I also like that it's not an inappropriate workplace romance because everybody's on equal footing. Yeah. Well, and and the fact that they're in different offices. Mm -hmm. So it's all about their equal level. They're in different companies. There's no superior, inferior. They're in on this deal. And then in the middle of that, they get romantically linked. Mm -hmm. That's how you do workplace romance. Yep. That's a great way to do it and not have any of that weird ickiness that comes with it. Mm -hmm. It's accomplishing a whole lot of things all at the same time and working on multiple levels, which, again, for an 80s romance movie, not the easiest thing to pull off. Mm -hmm. It's, It's very good writing. Now, the original script did have a different ending. In it, they get to the elevator and Trainer is disillusioned but he doesn't stand up for Tess. Trask is the one who fully initiates it. Hmm. Then Trainer berates himself for not supporting her. He's so horrible. And he, he comes and he tells Tess, I've become someone I hate. And he quits the entire merger and acquisitions business and leaves New York. And then at the end, Tess asks him, well, when you're done, come back and let's see if maybe we can start over. And then mm-hmm. she gets the job. I don't like that. It's an interesting twist. I like that Trainer is the one to stand up for her in our version because then it makes otherwise she shouldn't be with him either. Like yeah. she can't end up with him if he does not stand up for her because then it's really just like she's still with the Alec Baldwin character who's I cannot remember anybody's name. <laughs> oh, well, I, I, I think she winds up with no one, but no, maybe she, she ends up with the job. She Oh, she gets the job, but she definitely ends up with him too. She definitely gets him. Well, I know in, in our version, I just. I know, but like it's that can't happen if he doesn't stand up for her. Yeah. And the only way you could kind of like put a bow on that is that she gets the job. Trask stands up for her. She gets the job. She doesn't hear from trainer for a while. And then on her first day, she's got like flowers from him or some, some in her office, something to that effect to be like, like, let's make up, um, which would be fine, too. Yep. But it's so much cuter to watch him get her ready for work. It is very cute. Like you can like that is just hilarious. Like they're each eating each other's half of their breakfast. I love the <laughs> lunch he makes her is just like, this is adorable. It's so silly. Yeah, it's precious. And then like just the the switch where she, you know, she's she's going to an office and she just thinks she's gonna be in the pool. She's gonna be a secretary again. And then she realizes, no, I have an office. I love that. And then also the way she talks to her secretary, like you're going to call me Tess and I don't expect you to get coffee unless you're getting some for yourself and we'll make up the rest as we go. I love it. So it's so clear that like, I want to treat somebody the way I would have loved to have been treated as a secretary because I was one for so long. And I know this person is going to be in a weird situation with a female boss. And I am not repeating that mistake that that last bitch did. It's so good. In the original script, Tessa's new assistant was a man. Okay. To play the opposite. Sure. And instead, and I am sure our director had a bit of a hand in this because he's a fucking legend. Mm-hmm. They instead seemingly changed it so that they could specifically show how she instead decides to treat a secretary yes. working for her when she has that power. 
Yeah, no, I think that's great. It's a much better choice. Her having a man as a secretary? Uh, okay, that's a that's a funny bit, I guess. This? Perfect. Well, it's perfect because when she starts that conversation, you think she's just going to repeat what the other lady did. Yeah, that's why she starts. Because that's been her example of a female boss. Mm-hmm. But she makes it very clear, we're just going to make it up as we go. Yep. Which is perfect. And it's just, it's great. So let's talk about that director. Okay. His name is Mike Nichols. Mm. Before this, he was a original member of the Second City and a fucking comedy legend. And then directed Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, The Graduate, Catch-22, Carnal Knowledge, Silkwood, Heartburn, and Biloxi Blues. After this, he directed Postcards from the Edge regarding Henry, The Birdcage, Primary Colors, What Planet Are You From, Angels in America, Closer, and Charlie Wilson's War. He did The Birdcage? Oh, he did so much, Diana. Oh my god. Mike Nichols is incredible. Like, I I know I've heard that name tons and tons, but like, you know, some of these names, you just hear them and you don't really connect it to something. And it's like, oh my god, he did The Birdcage? That is like the one movie that if if you were flipping channels and that movie was on, my mom was stopping. She could not not watch that movie. I've seen it so many times. It is so good. Look, man. This man is is forever in my pantheon because of his first two movies. Mm-hmm. Virginia Woolf and The Graduate are both just astonishing piece of films. They just are. I mean, they're classics. I don't know how much I like them. But I don't oh, think I've actually so ever seen who's... I know, I haven't. Good. I haven't seen Virginia Woolf. Th- this is not one of his like big, huge production productions. No. Like His last big one was the, the HBO Angels in America. Yes, which I did see. And he's capable of, like, real genius work. This is not that movie. And yet, by fucking God, he's so good at it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, Look, it comes from him working within an environment that with the original Second City where he's he is on the vanguard of improvisation. Mm-hmm. Like, he helped create the rules <laughs> for how that shit works. And, you know, from every movie, the thing that you always get from him is natural, natural, natural. All of his movies continually come back to everybody seems so comfortable in their role. Mm-hmm. Like, that is his hallmark. Actors working with him, for, he has the magic touch of just being able to make everybody on screen seem so real. Mm-hmm. And again, like, this cast is no slouch. Everybody's doing amazing work. But he's pulling all of that together. And I appreciate, too, that, you know, he's he's choosing costume choices. Like, yes, Sin is crazily made up. On the other hand, that's the kind of job she has. Mm-hmm. She would be because she's a secretary. That's, you know, they expect a certain kind of look from people. Mm-hmm. But he it's this movie feels like the 80s, but the actual 80s, not the movie 80s. Yeah, it's not neon. It's. The big hair, big shoulder pads, you know, lots of, uh, you know, pantyhose, all that stuff, but like in the best way. Well, and you see the difference between the secretary pool, which really does have the very common big hair, pantyhose type mm-hmm. style and the Catherine Parker style. Yeah. Well, the the Manhattan 80s. Exactly. Which was, you know, she's like, it's very tailored. 
and um, very refined, simple. So like less flash. I think the flashiest thing she wore from from Catherine's closet was that first dress. And it's black and it's cut in a very simple way, but it's got all those sparkles on it. And that is a very showy dress for someone like Catherine. But then Tess wears it. And you know why Tess goes for that, because it's simple and it's classy, but it's also got that impact of all the sparkly. And she looks divine in it. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. gorgeous. And then throw on top of it, Mick, Mm -hmm. the boyfriend, Mm -hmm. who is pure working class 80s. Yep. He's pulling all of those elements and he's got such an eye for that part of it too. Mm -hmm. Like that's the biggest thing for me is Mike Nichols is never a guy. I mean, like I said, there, there's some incredible classic movies he's, he's directed, but he's never a guy that you're overwhelmed by his directing style. Mm -hmm. It's just that he's so crucially making choices that have an impact and make you feel like you are actually seeing these real people Mm -hmm. and he nails it he fucking nails it on a movie that's you know not it's it's considered great but it's not considered among his like greatest things he's ever done Mm -hmm. but let's move on to the cast okay and i'm gonna start out of credits order because our real star was their build okay we'll get into it though but also i know why yeah well uh Melanie Griffith as Tess McGill. Before this, she was in The Drowning Pool, Roar, Body Double, Something Wild, The Milagro Beanfield War, and Stormy Monday. After this, Pacific Heights, The Bonfire of the Vanities, A Stranger Among Us, Born Yesterday, Nobody's Fool, Now and Then, Lolita from 1997, Celebrity, Crazy in Alabama, Cecil B. Demented, Tempo, Automata, and The Disaster Artist. What do we think of Melanie Griffith in this movie? She was fabulous. She is so earnest, mm-hmm. but also like driven. And and it would have been so easy to have for her to become off-putting by being driven. She uses her naivete as a strength. Um, she she really uses it to be like, oh, uh, <laughs> like it's just uh so good. So good. She is smart enough not to push things too far too quick, mm-hmm. but bold enough to walk into an incredibly wealthy man's child's wedding yeah. <laughs> and propose a business deal when she has not been invited. Mm-hmm. She she has that rare mix, and like you know, we can we can argue about issues around greed and capitalism involved with the movie. But I think the bigger point is just like she clearly shows that she's not doing anything necessarily like wrong. Mm -hmm. She's flirting around the edges. But more importantly, it's that the drive is also mixed with a real savviness and understanding of what's actually going on in the world. Mm -hmm. And that perspective that she brings, which is a little on the nose, but it's like she reads people. She reads the the celebrity columns and the social columns she sees trends that most of those guys don't look at yeah no she's paying attention to more than like just where we're like oh we're gonna read the stocks column or the business section no she's reading everything because it affects more than just this one slice of the market Mm -hmm. (laughs) and realizing it's like oh here's something nobody's paying attention to 
which mm-hmm. is why she has the idea in the fucking first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's magnificent. And again, the the earnestness of it also feeds into a real, again, nuance. Nobody's overacting in this movie. Mm-hmm. And she's among them. And by God, this is a role you could easily overact. Oh, totally. And she doesn't. She doesn't. It's so... <laughs> It's not that it's subtle. It's just like the perfect tone. Mm-hmm. It's the perfect in-between for a very serious drama about business relationships and a light, fluffy romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. It's hitting right in the middle. Honestly, it's got some of those Marilyn Monroe and the Seven Year Itch vibes. A little bit, yeah. Where you're like, oh, this person is like fully fleshed out and real. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, Griffith was billed third because uh, she didn't have any real star experience at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest thing was they knew her as the daughter of a very famous other person. Mm-hmm. Fair. The studio wanted a much bigger star, but Nichols pushed for Griffith having seen the audition. So Mike Nichols knew. He was like, I found our girl. Love it. Funnily enough, she was a Miss Golden Globes in 1975. And then won a Golden Globe for this movie. <laughs> and the, she's not the only person to have done that. Laura Dern being one of the other famous examples. Mm-hmm. The Miss and Mr. Golden Globes, they are now ambassadors because the Golden Globes has finally decided to get its shit together. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're, the, they're sort of the young up and coming stars. They're often kids of stars and stuff like that. Uh, she did make a pass at Alec Baldwin during filming, mm-hmm. but she was rejected. By Baldwin. Instead, though, she wound up uh, getting into a romance with Liam Dalton, an investment banker that Nichols brought on to teach Griffith and the others about how mergers and acquisitions work. Oh, okay. That's kind of cool. Now, the other big kicker here was that, and this is all in Griffith's own recount, uh, she was struggling with cocaine and alcohol addiction while making this. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, she would uh, frequently go out clubbing. Uh, one time going out until 4.30 in the morning with Alec Baldwin, they both partied late in Manhattan and showed up late for a, the next day's shoot, completely intoxicated still. So Mike Nichols and producer Douglas Wick were terrified of how that might fall out. Oh, yeah. Especially because this is not a person who's got enough pull to make this, like, stick. Mm-hmm. So... They shut down production, fined her $80,000 of her salary for the lost time. Oh, wow. And hired a nurse full-time to test her sobriety for the remainder of the shoot. (sighs) Shortly thereafter, she entered the Hazelden Foundation, a rehab in Minnesota. Mm. She's going through it while making Mm -hmm. this, but she gives an incredible performance. So Mm. now, who could have been better? Let me, let me just give you all of the 80s women names, shall I? Okay. Michelle Pfeiffer. Maybe. Brooke Shields. No. 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 She desperately wanted the role. She wanted to uh, take on a serious role right after graduating Princeton. I get that, but no. Mm. Kathleen Turner. No. No, but she would be a great Catherine Parker. She, she would have. Uh, Kathleen Turner is just too mature. Um, you, you would not... You could not buy her in th- that position. No. No. Share. No. No. I mean, I, I think it's a similar thing. She is such an imposing force that you just couldn't buy it. 
she did Moonstruck the same year. She's phenomenal in Moonstruck. But you go like, how are you going to do Moonstruck in this movie, Cher? Come on. Yeah. She would be a real fun sin, though. Oh, she could have been a fun sin. She'd have to be in the movie a whole lot more, though. Maybe. Gina Davis. No. (laughs) Here's the thing. If she was up against Sigourney Weaver, they would have to be flipped. Sigourney could do this role, and Gina could be Kathleen. Deborah Winger. Yeah. Shelley Long. No. Diane Lane. Yes. Yes. A thousand times yes, especially in 1988. Yep. Sarah Jessica Parker. Also yes. Yeah. She could I could it. see it. Especially the whole New York vibe. Oh, yeah. Sarah Jessica Parker's total New York chick. Lorraine Bracco. Ooh. Yeah, she could have done it. And Demi Moore. Also, yes. Yes. Similar <laughs> vibes. Like, beautiful women who you can buy as a tough Jersey girl. Exactly. Beautiful women who are also tough and strong. <laughs> who, are being, who are being snubbed. They have a lot of presence. The, I, I Except can... Shelley Long, who yeah. I love, love but Shelley is Long. a comedic actress. <laughs> yeah, not... She would have been a great sin. Yeah. All right, now let's talk about our, our top build stars. We start with a, a guy named Harrison Ford. Who's that? It's no name. No named name. Jack Trainer yeah. in this movie? Yeah, he's all right, I guess. Fucking Han Solo. He's awesome. He's adorable. He's so fucking fun. They just took all of that Han Solo Indiana Jones charm and then just said, now you don't have to be running away from things. You can just be charming. Just, just be goofy. Just be a goofy dude. He does comedy so well. If you have not watched Shrinking on Apple TV, go do it. He plays a grumpy old man. So basically he's playing playing Harrison Ford. It's fucking hilarious. He Mm -hmm. is amazing in that film. Or not film. It's a show. He is so good at comedy. This was actually his first real rom-com. That makes sense. And he, he, he's so good. And, and part of it is, I think, you know, it, it helps that Nichols is like, I'm not, this this comes back to directing a little bit, mm-hmm. but I, I think it's that everybody involved goes, we know that what the audience is going to see is a rom-com. Mm-hmm. We're not playing it that way, though. Mm-hmm. Like, he just is this guy who is a little bit silly, a little bit goofy, but also bound and fucking determined to make the deal. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that the first time that they meet and she's like waffling around on details and he's like, what the fuck? Get it together. We're in business. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh, this is not going to be your typical, I'm just falling for this lady. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> no. Once he finds out there's a deal involved, he's like, if you screw me out of my millions, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> Which, fair. Exactly. And not in, a, not in a mean way, just in a like, whoa, 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 you haven't done the vetting? What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah. He just, he... Just so true, and he's so funny, and you know he gets to show off the abs he was working on, or the the closest he ever worked to to like do massive amounts of working out. Because Last Crusade, they put him through like a ridiculous workout regimen mm-hmm. <laughs> for the time, which is funny because he's not <laughs> even not then guy. he's he's not the craziest, most beefy guy in the world. Mm-hmm. He's Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. He's so good. Now we have Sigourney Weaver playing Catherine Parker. So before this, Sigourney Weaver was in Annie Hall, Alien, The Year of Living Dangerously, Deal of the Century, Ghostbusters, Aliens, 
Half Moon Street, and Gorillas in the Mist. After this, she was in Ghostbusters 2, Alien 3, 1492, Conquest of Paradise, Dave, Death and the Maiden, The Ice Storm, Alien Resurrection, Galaxy Quest, Holes the Village, Infamous, Be Kind, Rewind, Vantage Point, Baby Mama, Wally, The Tale of Despero, Avatar, Cedar Rapids, Abduction, Rampart, Exodus Gods and Kings, Chappie, Ghostbusters 2016, A Monster Calls, The Defenders on Television, Ghostbusters Afterlife, and Avatar The Way of Water. Oh, she was so good. She's so horrible, but horrible not in the, you know, the way Hollywood likes to be. She's just such a shrew. No, she's not a shrew. She's just a very uh, focused and determined woman. And what I, one of the things I love, and this is back, a little bit back to the writing, is that they give a very valid reason for why she might have put her name on the idea as opposed to Tess's. So you, you may like, oh, Tess was wrong, but like, no, you're not, it, which is great. I love that little detail. But like, she expects her assistant to come like take care of her after this accident. Like, what? No. Her horribleness is not in the fact that she's like uptight ice queen. Mm-hmm. It's that she's so fucking full of herself. <laughs> she just can't imagine someone doing this to her. And she can't imagine that somebody this low on the totem pole could have this good an idea. Mm-hmm. I-, I will say from an ethical standpoint, the way you do this is that you reward that person. You seek to find them a promotion, even though you may say like, look, there's some ethical reasons why I cannot put your name on this report, but I'm going to go to bat for you and like show make you sure and, everyone knows that you you're the one who saw this. And like in full transparency, I'm also going to pull you into that. So we talk about it. Mm-hmm. So the bosses know and I pull you in and we talk to them. But that just so you know, I can't put your name on there. And that's a legitimate thing. Like, you know, I work as a paralegal. I may have a great idea in a case. Mm-hmm. But I'm never allowed to put my name on the paper because I'm not an attorney. Yeah. That being said, good attorneys will take that and go, hey, look at what my paralegal came up with. Yeah. And tell their partner. There are ways to give credit to people if it's not like on the signed deal paperwork. It's exactly. Fine. So it- I, I do get that element of it. But yeah, no, that's not that's not what's going on here. Nope. She's so delightfully wicked without being a caricature. Mm hmm. And she's Sigourney Weaver. No slouches in this movie. No slouches. And no slouches in the who could have been better. Mm. Who do you think might have been better for this role? I mean, Gina Davis. No, Diana. Think much bigger. I I can't. The biggest. Whom? Meryl. Oh, no. No, really? No. You couldn't put Meryl in this role? Here's the thing. Meryl can do everything. She can do anything and everything. No. Okay. I don't think this would have been I don't think this would have been as interesting as it is. I think Sigourney's a a more interesting pick for this role. Okay. All right. All right. So that's our main cast. Let's move to some Arpons. Okay. We have Alec Baldwin as Mick Dugan. (laughs) This is actually a really big year for him. Mm -hmm. So this year, not only is he in this movie, he does She's Having a Baby. Married to the Mob, Beetlejuice, and Talk Radio. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a lot. That's five big deal movies. He worked with Tim Burton and Oliver Stone. Crazy. (laughs) He's such a baby. He is. 
it's so fucking weird to look back at him being like, oh, God. And that Steven looks exactly like him when he was the 80s. Yeah. It's so weird. Mm -hmm. According to Juliette Taylor, the casting director, she and Nichols really wanted Baldwin for Jack. Okay. They wanted him to play Jack Trainer, But the studio was like, we cannot have two unknowns for our main lead roles. Fair. It's like, if you want somebody unknown for this this role and you're going to fight for Griffith, fine, but you got to put somebody bankable in the guy role. I get it. So per Douglas Wick, quote, Mike had to call Alec and say, look, I'm really sorry. The circumstances have changed. Would you do this other part? Alec understood and was so lovely about it. And he came in and really nailed that character. He it was did. an awkward adjustment, unquote. Yeah, but like at the same time, look at how many projects he had going on that year and he blew up. So like. This was definitely a, like, he had, like, he didn't have, like, the super lead role in Beetlejuice, but he had a very important part in Beetlejuice. He's in that movie more than uh, Michael Keaton, and that has become a cult classic that at the time was not so, like, all of these smaller roles really added up to a lot for him, so he's fine. I could see him playing Jack Trainer though. Sure. So could I, but that's fine. And we have Joan Cusack as Sin. Mm-hmm. Love her. Joan fucking Cusack. Love her. Love her and everything. Nora Dunn as Ginny. Love her. Maybe one of the greatest women on SNL of all time. Absolutely. Oliver Platt as Lutz. He's such a baby. I mean, baby, baby, Oliver Platt. I was like, whoa. Kevin Spacey as Bob Speck. Uh, plays a gross person because he is a gross person. Let's move on. Some people have been like, it's real hard to watch that scene now. Ew. Olympia Dukakis as the personnel director. I love Olympia Dukakis. She can do no wrong. She's here for two minutes and it's amazing. It's fabulous. In his first ever role as one of Tessa's birthday party friend. I, I can't even see him. I have to find a still somewhere. David Duchovny. Oh, okay. Is in this movie. He's a Jersey boy, right? I don't know. I think he is. But he's just randomly in this movie. Good for him. Zach Grenier as Jim. Uh, he, of course, being of Deadwood, the good wife, and the good fight. He was in Fight Club. He's a very recognizable character actor. Mm-hmm. Ricky Lake as a bridesmaid. Oh, yeah. I, I picked her out instantly. I was like, this is Ricky Lake. And finally, Timothy Carhart as Tim Draper. He played Harlan, the shithead who gets rightfully murdered in Thelma and Louise. No. Awards. Award. This movie was nominated for six Academy Awards. That's fair. I will give you one winner because it was nominated and won Best Original Song for Let the River Run. Oh, geez. They play that song so much in this film. That's the problem with it, right? It's too much. And also, like, the line about Jerusalem is just weird. Well, it was originally called Wall Street Hymn. Still. It kind of makes, like, if it was at the beginning and at the end, I would be fine. But they do it the entire fucking movie. (laughs) Yeah. It's not good. It's not that good. We've heard worse. It's, It's not love is an easy chair. This is very true. However, it is the first of only two songs to win an Oscar, Golden Globe, and Grammy after being composed and performed by a single artist. 
The second was Bruce Springsteen's Streets of Philadelphia for Philadelphia. Hmm. We have Best Supporting Actress for Joan Cusack. Oh, wow. Okay. Best Supporting Actress for Sigourney Weaver. Yep. Best Actress for Melanie Griffith. Nice. Best Director and Best Picture. Yeah, not mad about it. Now we move on to a few pieces of trivia. Trivia. Both Sigourney Weaver and Melanie Griffith followed female executives and secretaries on their hectic schedules and sat in on meetings to get a feel of the industry from a female perspective. Okay. The tequila scene was filmed at the restaurant bar of Caroline's Comedy Club at the South Street Seaport. Legendary New York Comedy Club. Yeah. Promotions for the film brought gifts to some of the most prominent secretaries throughout the U.S., including then-President Bush's secretary. Good. The packages included a button badge with the caption, There's more to life than smiling, filing, and dialing. (laughs) Approximately 15,000 pencils, post-it note pads, and, for some select few, a coffee mug and a paperclip holder. (laughs) Melanie Griffith's updo in her first business meeting with Jack Trainer is an homage to her mother's look in The Birds. Oh, that's cute. Also, when Catherine returns to New York, she has a giant stuffed gorilla. She had just finished playing Diane Fossey in Gorillas in the Mist a few months earlier. <laughs> the stuffed rabbit for Tess was made by teddy bear artist Gay Sharp from Mabel's in New York. Nichols would later buy five more rabbits to give to some of the bigger actors in the film. While we believe Bob's Burgers made the definitive mix of musicals for 1988 movies... Cindy Lauper is working on a musical of this film. Oh, very cool. It would be her second after Kinky Boots. I don't know when this note was put into IMDb, so you'd have to look up and see if it's still in development. But uh, yeah, it'd be a great musical. We love the diehard working girl mashup from Bob's Burgers. We sing it a lot. (laughs) It's very good. Tess McGill, you've stolen this Gruber's heart. A place where we could all be happy and not get killed. Maybe there's a tower somewhere up above. So there are bonds and love. Where to be so Maybe there's a tower somewhere up above. Fill the shoulder pad and love. Where to be so God, Carly Simon? And finally, when Tess starts her new position at Trask Industries, she is very clearly wearing Jack Trainer's jacket. It's too big for her. Mm-hmm. She started her new job so soon, she did not have time to get new business clothes of her own. No judgment. <laughs> that leads us to ratings. Ratings. For every movie, we have a specific rating system for this movie. We got to do the little rabbit. Meh. Oh, I tried. Briefcases. Oh, the briefcase. What a great moment. Yes, we'll do briefcases. This is your movie. It is my movie because technically I've seen most of it. Mm-hmm. This is a five. It's a five. I wouldn't change anything about it. I love cast. I love the story. I love the way it starts. I love the way it ends. I like how we move through the story. I like how the people like grow or get what's coming to them. It's great. It's a good time. I had a gut judgment at first. Mm-hmm. 
and that gut judgment was wrong. It is five briefcases. The more we talk about it, the more I, I look and go, what, what are you going to change about this movie? And like, and if it started and like, if I was flipping through channels and it was on, I'd be like, I'll watch this for a while. This is a great movie. I know, right? It is so fun. Well, we're almost there. Mm-hmm. We're headed into 1989 and we are going to watch the story of a man who defied the entire education system. Okay. And a man who also is the voice of God, because we are going to watch Morgan Freeman in Lean On. Oh, okay. Movie I've heard of. Movie I know nothing about. Okay. All right. Other than it was made in 1989. All right. Well, until next time. Have a good movie.